Welcome back to another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. Tell me, are you enjoying the story with your children or perhaps with your grandchildren? I'd love to hear from you to tell me what you think of the story so far. You can write to me at CarlaReadsTheClassics at gmail.com. And now let's jump back into Theodore Pratt's The Money, Segment 13. It's this, he said. Remember how, when we went to his funeral, and Paul asked the funeral home man if Mr. Wesley was going to have a headstone at his grave, and the man said there wasn't enough money for that? They remembered. Well, I just thought, what with us having all this money of Mr. Wesley's, we ought to use some of it to get him a stone. They took that in, absorbing it quickly, and their comments came fast. He ought to have a stone. It doesn't seem right his not having one. Everybody ought to have a stone. We ought to do it. There's enough money. A lot more than enough. And it's his. Or was. He'd like it. We'll do it right away. But how do we do it? They turned to their leader again, and while the TV played on, listened to with one ear, George admitted, I haven't thought much about how to do it, except for where. I noticed there was a stone place right across from the cemetery. Then we'll just buy one there, Henny proposed. It isn't as easy as that, Paul pointed out. For one thing, it'll cost quite a bit, and how much, Joey wanted to know. I don't know. If you get a big one, a lot. A thousand dollars? Maybe not that much, but probably hundreds. We don't want to give him a small stone, a good-sized one. What I meant, Paul went on, was if we do this, it might cause some talk and we'd be found out. For a moment, the fear rose in them that the the worthy project would be too dangerous. It's risky. We better not do it. We don't want to be found out. We might lose all the money. We'd better drop the whole thing. Knock it off. They turned in surprise to look at George. He told them, I let you go on like that, but now listen. While you were yakking, I decided there's two ways to do it. One is, we put the money in an envelope and send it to the man at the stone place telling him what we want and not signing our name or anything. That would be good if it would work, but it might not work. He might keep the money, and we couldn't do anything about it. Or if he did put up the stone, he'd tell people, and with us being at the funeral and all, it might be traced to us. So we can't do that. Gracie asked, what do we do? The second way is that we go out to the stone place and look things over and get talking to the man and see what he's like in a way that maybe can be done. I don't mean we tell him right away what we want, but just feel things out and then see. That might be worse, said Paul. He'd know who we are then. If it doesn't look right, we won't go through with it. I don't know, said Henny. Joey said, We don't want to lose our two dollars a week and more later, which I think should be pretty soon. Henny amended. We don't want to lose two hundred thousand and... and... How much is it now, Gracie? I forgot. Now listen, George repeated. I've heard my father say a lot of times that people will do anything for money. 
What I want to do is just see what the stone man is like and see if he'll be that way. You mean, asked Paul, if he gets the job, maybe he won't say anything? That's it, said George. They agreed to let George do this, but now it was they who cautioned him to be careful and said it wasn't only his money that was being risked, it was theirs as well. They decided to go that afternoon right after their lunches. The box was opened and George rummaged in it, taking out two $100 bills and six fifties, saying, five hundred ought to do it. He added two singles. That's for bus fare. He rolled the bills and put them with a nonchalant air in his pocket. And he gasped, You're going to take that home with you for lunch? Why not? asked George. Admiring glances went to their leader. The admiration was as much for themselves as for George. The box was sealed and buried, the TV turned off, the candle blown out, and the clubhouse locked securely. They would meet at the entrance to the hills after lunch. When they met, Gracie announced breathlessly, I forgot to put the $502 in the book. George assured her she could do that later and that she might not have to do it at all if they didn't make a deal with the stone man and come back with the main amount. They walked to the bus stop a few blocks away and were relieved to find no one from the hills waiting there. On the bus, they obtained transfers and information on what bus to take to the cemetery. When they got off, opposite the entrance, they saw the stone-cutting place across the road. Various monuments, samples, rose in the front. Some were of white marble, some dark brown, some gray. There was one big black block. Some were large, some small, most middle-sized. Some were smooth but dull. Some shone, some were rough. There were figures of angels and of holy family, of saints and lambs. One column was broken, and Gracie observed, It must have fallen down. Nah, Henny said, I think it means something. What? You got me. Expectantly, yet fearsomely, they entered the yard and passed among the samples. They stood in front of the large black block of marble. This had been polished so smoothly that they could see themselves reflected in it. That would be a good one. I think Mr. Wesley would like that one. Maybe it would cost too much. I mean, more than we brought. They thought they could hear chirping sounds from somewhere. A small whitewashed frame building held an office, and when they went in, it was empty. But they noticed that opening the door rang a bell. As soon as it rang, a man's guttural voice called from out back where now they could see another larger frame building. It was from there that the chipping noises had come. All right, all right, I be right there. In a moment, a tall, almost elderly man who had a gray walrus mustache and whose little gray eyes looked over spectacles perched almost on the end of his nose came in from the rear. They knew at once he was a foreigner of some kind, but didn't know what kind. His hands were covered with what looked like white dust. He stopped, stock still, when he saw the five of them, and he greeted them. Well, 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 look at the people we got here. His accent was odd. Where did you come from? From the bus, George answered. From the bus, he says. I ask a foolish question and I get a foolish answer. 
as if he had had enough of that, the man complained to the world at large. Not so many people dying lately, so there ain't much business. And it's worse with people taking up those dumbfound bronze markers instead of a good honest stone like always. And you don't look like good customers. I'd have to wait too long for any of you. The children liked him. He spoke directly to them. He didn't patronize them. And though his tone was gruff, it was honest. They sensed at once that he could be trusted. George told him, It isn't about us. No? He says it ain't about them. Then who is it about? George squirmed a little now. Well, he said, We wanted to ask you a question. Ask? Supposing somebody wanted to get a gravestone for somebody but didn't want anybody to know who paid for it. The man searched him with his gaze above his metal-rimmed glasses. Now, that is very interesting. He didn't say anything more right away, but strode to the old-fashioned roll-top desk that stood at one side of the small office and sat rather heavily on a straight-backed wooden chair set before it. He faced away from the children for a moment, then abruptly twisted the chair about, making a loud, scraping noise. From there, he regarded them. This somebody, he said, is he already planted? Planted? asked George. I use a bad word. This somebody, does he already live over in the cemetery? George refused to have anything to do with this idea. He's buried there. So? The stone man started to make a speech. You see me. You see a man not so old, but old in a lot of ways. You see these hands? He held out his large, gnarled, white-dusted hands. They looked at them with respect. The man kept his hands out. You see these hands that carve hundreds of stone for many cemeteries? Thousands of stones. And do you think these hands never before carved a stone for somebody who gave the money and didn't want it known for who who gave? The children were startled. Their eyes were big and they nodded, listening and attending with immense interest. Only George spoke. You mean it could be done? The hands were still out. Done? he asked. And ain't I just told you these hands already done it? At last he drew in his hands. Now the man threw back his head and thought. Three times in my life these hands have done it. Three times and nothing ever said. Paul asked, then you do it again? George frowned ferociously and hissed, I'm doing the talking. And I hear you, the man said. He peered at them more closely and demanded, you don't talk nothing. You mean this to be done? We mean it. George asserted. You got the money to do this? George hesitated. Maybe we have. Ah, said the man. You want to know more? He pointed a large knobby finger at them. Before you know more, you show me you don't talk nothing. You talk nothing, you go from here. Thus challenged, George dug in his pocket and brought out their money. He stepped toward the man and unrolled the bills, fanning them out slightly so that he could see the amount. The man's little eyes widened only slightly, but now he really peered at them. He sat up straighter in his chair and demanded, You steal this money? 
they did not feel the word applied to them. No, George replied, we didn't steal it. You don't lie? All the faces looked with unblinking eyes at the man. We don't lie. I think you lie. No, we don't. Somebody sent you with this? Some rich old lady who was too ancient and feeble to come herself? We don't want to say about that, George asserted. So, you don't want to say about fairy tales. He glared at them with, male with malevolence. He softened. You talk good English. You don't say ain't. But you don't want to say anything else. He nodded as if this told him something. Will you do it? asked George. Ambiguously, he replied. Like you, I don't say. Then you won't? And I don't say I don't. I say only a few things first. You got money for a stone. You got also to make arrangements with the cemetery. This disturbed them. They didn't want to make any such arrangements, George asked. You mean it costs more? No more it costs, just arrangements. Can't you do that? Can't that be included in your price? Now, maybe. Now, maybe it could. Then it's settled. Settled, he says. Five little people walk in here with $500, $100 a piece, and they say they like a stone put up for somebody over there and no questions asked. All arrangements made, and he says it's settled. No, it ain't settled. I still think you steal this money. We didn't steal it. And you lie. No, sir. George was resolute. You don't look like you lie. You don't sound like it. But the crooks in this world, they are the ones who don't sound like it and don't look like it. So you lie. No, sir. Cross our hearts, hope to die. We don't lie. And after you lie and I do this thing, after I put the name in the stone and it can't be used for somebody more, I get arrested and the money is taken from me. No, sir, nobody will do anything like that. We just don't want us to be known. And if I ask you why? Stubbornly, George told him, We don't want to say. Say, he don't want to say. I say, I don't, I don't. He leaned forward, and his look at them was now piercing. I ask myself, does somebody who is a thief come and pay for a stone and not want to be known? Is it possible? Yes, but then again, maybe it is not so. It isn't so, Henny told him. You've got to believe us. George scowled at Henny, but didn't reprimand him. The man thought some more, peered at them, and then slapped his leg a resounding smack. White dust rose. What kind of a stone do you think about? Emboldened by Henny having done some talking, Gracie tried it. We sort of picked one out. George scowled again. Ah, so that one talks too, the little female. Gracie was examined like a bug. I think it is a female. She talks. The man turned on Joey. You, do you got a tongue someplace in your head? In your mouth, maybe? Joey quavered. Y y yes sir Ah, his tongue works. You all talk. The man rose and started for the front door of the office. You show me this you pick out. They led him to the big black marble. Ah, 
he cried. This one you choose. I do not like to lose this one. You mean it costs too much? Asked George. Now, when he peered down at them, at all their anxious, scared faces, he seemed to approve what he saw. You like this one? You like it fine? They all nodded, and the man over there. He lifted one of his big hands and, with a heavy finger, pointed to the cemetery across the road. You want him to have a good stone, a beautiful stone? They nodded vigorously. This is a man and not a woman. They nodded a third time. Then this stone, this black beauty, this good, fine, solid, honest stone that is polished like a mirror, it will come with nothing said to nobody and all arrangements made and the name of the man cut into it and his dates, except it is worth more. I will let go for the money you showed me. A communal sigh of relief went through the five musketeers. The deal made, they went back into the office where the man sat in his chair again while they lined up in front of him. George passed over the five hundred dollars and the man took them. He examined the bills carefully, turning them over and looking through his glasses at each side of each one. At first they thought he was going to see something the matter with them. Perhaps Mr. Wesley's money would turn out to be counterfeit after all, and only now discovered. But finally he said, I do crazy things in my old age. He glared at them. I don't tell nobody you do this, and you don't tell nobody I do. George assured him, We won't say anything. And you still don't say who you are and why you do this? All George would say was, There's no harm in it. The man waved the bills high in the air and held them there as if out of their reach. You don't think of one thing. Now your money is in my hand, but maybe I don't carve the stone and place it. They smiled at him and shook their heads. You think this is funny? They smiled wider and shook their heads farther from side to side. Maybe I don't do it, he warned. They laughed at him now. Angrily, he demanded, How do you know I do or don't? They sobered and told him, We know. We don't even have to come to see it later, but we will. Ah. The bills were lowered. The man swung about to look at the calendar on his desk. Now, today it is June 29. You come back July 29 to look, and it will be there. But where will it be? They gave him Mr. Wesley's full name and wrote it down and asked about the dates to be cut into the stone. All they knew was that Mr. Wesley was 77 years old when he died that year. The man said, I figure it. I put on the dates. He stood up and informed them, I am crazy. For no reason they understood, then or afterward, the children, one by one, led by George, went up to him and shook his hand. It felt immense and rough, yet somehow warm and friendly when they touched it. He squeezed their small hands gently, and they were never sure, but they thought that some tears welled in his eyes behind his glasses when he said, this time softly, I am crazy. End of segment 13. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening.